My novel Finding Home is available for purchase on February 20th in everywhere that books are sold. One reader called it a spiritual experience embedded in pure drama. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. Tell a fantastic story, but reveal all the layers of spiritual truth that were in the prodigal son parable when Jesus told it. But we miss it with our Western eyes. You will be amazed at the Father's incredible love for you. You can find out more on my website, susankamacias.com backslash finding dash home. Welcome, friend. Do you find yourself with an empty nest and a faded vision? Then you're in the right place. God still has a calling and mission for us in the second half of our lives, because you know what? We're not done yet. So join me, Susan Macias, author, speaker, and empty nest mom, and let's explore how our family, our church, and our world needs us. Today's episode is sponsored by my award-winning book, Unceasing, A Parent's Guide to Conquer Worry and Pray with Power. It's available on Amazon. And you can also join my Facebook group, Unceasing Prayer Moms. On the group, we're going to start a book study on September 30th, going through Unceasing, one chapter at a time. Join us and not only get free from paralyzing worry, but also learn the transformative work of powerful prayer. Hello, friends. Welcome to Episode 5, The Cure for the Bitter Heart. You know what? Here's a reality in the second half of life. We've had many opportunities at heartbreak, at disappointment, unfairness. Our likelihood of being betrayed or cheated or misrepresented, it increases with each year we live. How can we answer God's call in the second half of life if we're mad at Him for how the first half turned out? We need a cure for bitterness and anger and jealousy because they easily trip us up. But we won't find that cure for our heart through justice or resolution or seeing the good rewarded and the bad punished. Sorry if that disappoints you, but it's true. It's inconvenient, but it's true. We're going to turn to scripture today to find out what that cure could possibly be. I love the word of God. It is truthful and transparent and gritty. And nowhere do we see that more than Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is written by Asaph, who wrote 12 Psalms. And in this Psalm, he's come to some places that he just needs to unload to the Lord. He starts out well in verse 1. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That sounds nice and religious, doesn't it? But then he gets really honest really fast. Verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever felt that way? Sometimes following Jesus makes our life harder and probably less profitable. And in the next 10 verses, Asaph just continues this litany of complaint of how those who weren't following God had a better life than he did. And it comes down and synthesizes that all in verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I mean, it's so honest. Have you ever felt that? I mean, why am I following you, God? If I'd known my life was going to turn out like this, I wouldn't have done it. I remember hearing how just love Jesus and he will make everything work out. And I think that is a lie that we tell people. It will work out eternally, 
but it may look really bad right now. We don't know what's going to happen. Don't ever tell somebody that. Coming to Jesus is out of love and obedience, but it doesn't cure difficulties and challenges in our life. And so we get an idea in verses 3 through 14 what a bitter heart looks like. And then all of a sudden we get a turn. In verse 15, Asaph stops and he realizes the consequences of his heart. And he says, if I had said, I will speak thus, like all the ways he'd been speaking up to then, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And he's talking to God now at this point. This is the greatest threat of our own bitterness. We will poison the generations after us, whether they're our own children and grandchildren or the generations after us in the church. We influence those generations coming up by how we walk with the Lord through our challenges. Here's the great thing about scripture as it keeps being honest, because he doesn't actually pull out of the death spiral, even when he realizes the bad consequences of what he's saying. He says, if I had thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. That's verse 16. Does it ever feel worrisome? I just, I can't understand God. I can't understand. What do we do then? Verse 17, one of my favorite words in scripture, until, like all this was happening until, until what? Until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. You know what happened? In verses 1 through 14, Asaph is looking down, but it turns in verse 16 when he goes into the sanctuary and he looks up. He doesn't have anything together and actually not a single thing has been resolved yet, but he looks up. And even then, as he's looking up and he's seeing God, he still doesn't have his stuff together. Oh, that is so comforting. Sometimes we walk in church and I'm still complaining. But here's what verse 21 says. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Who was he a beast toward? God. So understand that Asaph, yes, he comes into the sanctuary and he gets his eyes up, but his heart is still a mess. That is so comforting. Sister, we do not have to have everything together. We need to come into the sanctuary. We need to lift our eyes up and we go, look at my brutish heart, God. Then what's happened? Then the beautiful cure arrives. So the first step was Asaph turning his view And then we see God coming to him. When he was brutish towards God, verse 23 says, Nevertheless, even though I was brutish toward you, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. It's not, I'm going to try to get close enough to hold your hand. It's that God is reaching out to him, holding his right hand. Verse 24, you guide me with counsel. And here's the big change in verse 25. There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. He's totally changed. He's complained for the first 14 verses of what he doesn't have. And now when he gets his view back on the Lord, when he feels the Lord holding his hand and giving him counsel, he says, I don't desire anything beside you. He recognizes his weakness and he finds the Lord sufficient. Listen to this good news in verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
No matter what happens to him, he knows that God is actually his greatest inheritance. And verse 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. It's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Sounds like he's walking into his second half calling to me. He's gone from bitterness and anger to getting his heart corrected by God so that what he sees as goodness is just being near the Lord. His refuge, his strength to walk into the next steps of his life is the presence of the Lord. And what's going to happen out of that? He's going to tell of God's works. So let me give you the steps here straight out of Psalm 73 that are the cure of the bitter heart. One, let God judge. No matter what has gone wrong in your life, who has cheated you or done anything hurtful or is prospering at your expense, let God be their judge. Two, turn your gaze up instead of looking down. Don't look at the earth. Don't look at the people around you to decide if God is true or not. Look up. See him. Number three, hold God's hand. He is holding you. Hold back. Hang on. He wants to give you all that you need. Number four, get God's counsel. I love that verse that says that God gives us counsel. He will instruct our mind and our heart to follow him. So let's get his counsel. And number five, desire only God and let him be your strength and refuge. Really, the poison of bitterness comes from rehearsing what's wrong and planning what we think justice should look like. The antidote is turning to the Lord, crawling up in his lap, and letting him take care of it. So let's move into the second half of life, free and clear of old bitterness and hurt that would weigh us down into ineffectiveness. We're going to talk more about that very thing next week in episode six, where we can finish strong. So make sure and come on back for that. Until then, sister, we have a second half calling that we can walk into without bitterness, holding the Lord's hand, finding him our good, and letting him be our refuge. Why trade that for anything else? Hey, thanks for joining me today. If you want to continue the conversation, hop on over to my website, susankmacias.com, and look for the blog post that goes with today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to share it with a friend someone who needs some encouragement to pursue God's call in the second half of her life. And what about you? What's Jesus calling you to do? Be brave. Take a baby step. Do the next thing. Because you're not done yet.